The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. You know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really excited about today's show, obviously. It's a, it's a subject that's very uh, dear to my heart. And in fact, when I was reading the book that uh, we're going to be talking about today, <laughs> I kept getting chills. So that must, that, that'll explain it all. Um, today's show I'm calling Got Courage, and it is particularly um, uh, relevant in the sense that we were talking recently in a previous show about the soldiers who have the courage to go out and uh, fight for us, especially in connection with Memorial Day, and, um, but also talking about how uh, sad it is that really... So many people, in fact, I heard a soldier uh, talking about this um, this past weekend, and he was crying on television as he was talking about it. Maybe some of you heard this, um, talking about how people, you know, how while they're out there on the front lines, um, people here are just barely aware of it, you know, are involved in their own life, and um, just aren't even thinking about what's going on at the same moment. I mean, imagine what's going on right now in Afghanistan, for example. Um, people putting their lines on the their lives on the line uh, for the free to keep freedom in America. We're we're thinking about when our where our next latte is coming from. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to be talking today about a courageous couple from uh, longer ago <laughs> than uh, these current wars, but from a time when. It was more, um, I don't know, common, but certainly it seemed um, like there were more people who were more conscious, at least, about um, being courageous to save other people's lives. Um, my guests are the author of a new book called Two Among the Righteous Few, A Story of Co- Courage in the Holocaust. It was written by Marty Brownstein, and also with us today is his wife, Leah Bars, who um, is the person, uh, the sort of what the uh, the leading star in the in this story, um, because she was one of the people saved by the couple that the story is about, um, Franz and Mien Weinecker. They were a simple Dutch couple who saved the lives of countless Jews, over two dozen, during a time when every day, every moment. It was very dangerous for them to do so. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, let's see. First, I'd like to, you know, this is a show, a show, this is a story that takes place in originally, well, depending upon where you want to say that it starts, but approximately the 1938 or so. 
And um, what made you uh, decide uh, to write this now? I mean, mm-hmm. y- you know, what, um, what, what brought this to your consciousness? To, I mean, obviously you've left, lived with this every day, but what made you decide finally to put this into a book? Yeah, good question. This was a story I stumbled into more by accident than by design initially. When uh, Lee and I went on an extended trip in the spring of 2009, we went back to the Netherlands where she's from and they, her family immigrated when she was a child, 13, to the United States. And at this point, it had been 25 years since she'd been last there, and so it was a great desire for her to go back. So on this trip, which we went for about six weeks in the Netherlands, she wanted to find out and discover, rediscover the area where she knew her parents were hidden and where her origins began. And we kind of, through this trip, stumbled into finding the actual home where Franz and Mean Weinacher live, which where one of the sons, Franz Jr., lives today. And we reconnected with the family, or she reconnected with the family. For me, it's the first time. And we began to get introduced to more specifics in the story that she didn't even know about what Franz and Mean had done that earns them this very special honor from Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Israel, the righteous among the nations, the honor for those non-Jews who helped save the lives of Jews during the war and the Holocaust. So that was kind of the initial spark, finding out about this, that said, hey, maybe I could do something with this. And over the course of about a year and a half to follow-up research, developed the story. Um, I was at... Yad Vashem in Israel. It was mm-hmm. a very, I saw the ceremony. It was a very moving, unbelievable place. Yes, most definitely. So, um, Leah, how do you feel about, uh, was it your husband's idea or your idea, or how did you feel about, which one of you, um, you know, was more, uh, I guess Marty, you wrote it, but right. which one of you was more, um, I don't know, passionate about it coming into being. Yes, that's a very good uh, way to describe it. When Marty saw the plaque that Yad Vashem um, had put up and a picture of the plaque and the tree uh, at Yad Vashem, um, he was, uh, which was shown to us by Franz Jr., who lives in the house and his wife, um, he was so immensely moved that it's been ongoing since then that he feels so passionate that a story like this uh, and courage like this has to become better known to inspire people. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Especially now as more and more people... Um, who were alive during the Holocaust are dying. Right, yeah. Um, Survivors are getting old. Are getting old, yes. Yeah. And so somebody has to, I mean, it's so important now to be telling these stories, well, because, of course, of course, there are people who would say that this never happened, so it's particularly important to get these stories out. Yeah. And what's been interesting about this is we've been, I've been speaking to a number of audiences since this came out last fall, is the way people respond to the story, because here's a story of rescue. And quite often in what's come out in the Holocaust, you don't hear as much about the Mm. rescue side, the righteous, the people who actually didn't have to do anything. They were just trying to survive the war, and because most people didn't do anything, countries to individuals. So these were actually fairly rare 
people to actually say, I'm going to get involved despite the risk and dangers to try to help save the lives of Jews when the climate at that time was one of hate and indifference. And so people really are resonating with that and saying, yeah, this is even more important to keep telling that there were some good people, good Christians in this time period, like Franz and me. Yes. And, you know, I, that's one of the things that I'm going to ask you to to take us on this journey, to tell the story. Mm-hmm. But um, that's one of the things that struck me, especially with the pictures in the book. Um, you know, they were really a simple couple. I mean, right. I don't mean simple. Yeah, <laughs> ordinary people. Wise, but I mean just simple country people. Right. And, right. Um, and they found the courage to do this. I mean, it wasn't as though they were, they didn't have any political office or, you know, they weren't... Um, there wasn't anything particularly special, and which which just and the way that you describe it, um, how this started, how this came about, um, one by one person, mm-hmm. it was just it was just it was as if they didn't really think about it too much. This was they just knew this was the right thing to do. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it definitely was, and so yeah, and it's something in a way they stumble into. Right. Right. And you know, it starts around the spring of 1943 when Franz. Is there on one of his business trips to Amsterdam trying to just sell some meat and eggs to make a living, calling upon this doctor acquaintance of his, doctor likely part of the resistance movement that was helping people in hiding. Franz never knew that for certain, but he just kind of gets asked, well, we have this girl in hiding here in the city. We'd like to get her out. Would you be willing to take her home where you live, somewhere in the country, right? Would you take her home with you and maybe keep her for three weeks? And by the way, she happens to be Jewish, but would you be willing to help? And he went, okay. You know, there was just this kind of, all right, I'll just go along because you asked for my help, then I'll help. Right. And then it starts to build from there over the course of a nearly two-year period where they go very involved, much more than they ever thought they would have in the beginning. And certainly in the beginning, they didn't realize what risk and dangers they were doing, but they'll, they'll figure that out not long into it. But that's what's really amazing. And if I can add a little extra note there to that, mm-hmm. uh, that one of the things that helped us in developing the story, because it took some research and follow-up interviews to do with the family, is that first girl they took into hiding, and they only knew her by her false identity Dutch name of Freitje, is uh, she just recently, Shulamit Schwartz lives in Haifa, Israel. She's 84 years old. She just had her 84th birthday. She was also one of the key people that helped us in developing the story, I just uh, visited with her today, thank goodness, to, for Skype. And we've, that's part of the journey is we've made some great family connections out of there between Shula and her family and the Weinacher family that has been very supportive for us putting the story together. So just talking to Shula today just reminded me why I'm doing this because what a wonderful, warm, gracious lady. Yes, she was the first one. Yeah. Um, and uh, it really... Yeah, it really is so uh, important to be to be doing this. I know we're coming up to a break now, so I don't. That's why I'm sort of not encouraging you to get into it more. But when we come back, um, I do want you to take it from Shula, from uh, the first girl. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, I, I, in that first story, as you tell it, he was um, when the woman who the doctor referred him to then said, gave him this these detailed explanations. Yeah. Of, of how he should, what train to go on and what to do. And, you know, it was, I could just imagine him standing there thinking, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, why do I have to do all these complicated kinds of things? Right. Um, 
But, of course, uh, and I also want to get into, I mean, it's so amazing, Leah, that you, uh, you know, that you were born during all this. That's such a romantic story. We have to get into that, too, <laughs> how your parents wound up in the home of the Vinekers and, mm-hmm. and wound up together. <laughs> yes. And, and, and then you wound up coming out of that. Yes. So, um, so we will talk about that. And, and you're going on a whole uh, tour, 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 right? Is that going around the country talking about this? Um, we're, we're certainly concentrating in the Bay Area, but we're doing a few other stops. We'll be going to, I'm going to Seattle this July. Even in Phoenix. We've been in Phoenix. We did a little bit in Chicago. In we Chicago. aim to go back next year mm-hmm. to Chicago and hoping to break into some other places. So it's, it's an ongoing journey of wherever we can share the story we're looking to do. When I, I have an event coming up tomorrow here in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And at the end of May, that'll mark 60 events that I've shared this story with an audience wow. since we started last uh, fall. So it's been quite a journey and a mission in a way. Uh, oh, that's fabulous. Well, when we come back, we will hear the story. Uh, Marty Brownstein, the author of Two Among the Righteous Few, A Story of Courage in the Holocaust, and his wife, Leah Bears. Bars? Bars. Bars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bars. Yes. Um, who was the, one of the more than two dozen Jews who were saved by the Weineckers, and we will hear their story. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
where we are talking about got courage, question mark, question mark, question mark, uh, and talking about an inspirational story of courage that you're now about to hear. Uh, at least you're hearing, you're going to be hearing the highlights, the book that you have to buy <laughs> to get the whole story is called Two Among the Righteous Few, A Story of Courage and the Holocaust. And it's by Marty Brownstein. He is here on the show along with his wife, Leah Bars, who was one of those who were saved by Franz and Mien Weinecker, a simple Dutch couple who um, had the courage at that time to, to save countless Jews. So now, why don't you start with the story, Marty? From uh, your perspective of writing it, Leah, your perspective of living it. Once, once we yes. get to the part where you're born. <laughs> yes. Okay, go ahead. Well, one of the, I'll say, miracles of what Franz and Ming pull off, which is chapter nine in the book, is they have this uh, young Dutch couple who's similar in age to them that have come in and actually came separately into their home. Uh, the first of uh, the the husband came, Lou Bars, her dad, and he was an architect by trade, thank goodness, because he'll help build a hiding room within the house, design and build it with to help Franz, which can be very important as the war goes on and the German presence goes. But his wife came out separately from Amsterdam. They both had been able to get out before getting deported, and Franz placed her elsewhere. He, Lou, didn't know that, and so, but she gets... The term often was betrayed. It's something that goes wrong where she's at, and she gets forced out. And luckily comes to the home in the middle of the night to Franz and Mean Weinacher and has an emotional reunion with her husband, Lou, her name, Angeline. Later she'll anglicize it to Lynn. And now they've had this great reunion, and can they stay together? And Franz and Mean decide, sure, I guess. But then Lynn has to tell Franz shortly afterwards a secret she has that she can't keep secret any longer, which is she's pregnant. Now wait, so she, so she, but she became pregnant. Well, was she pregnant before? Yes, before she got to the southeastern part of Netherlands where they lived. So the pregnancy occurred while they were still in Amsterdam. Okay. So when she basically arrives at Franz and Mean's house, she's about five months pregnant at this point. So she can't hide it anymore. And so after telling this, you know, by the way, I'm pregnant, and there's this holy cow, what are we going to do about this? And one of the choices they had was they could send her away. So they turned to the resistance group that was known as the LO by initials. They're the group that was helping people in hiding in the Netherlands. And basically his contact with the LO said, it's up to you, Franz. You guys can decide what you want to do. If you want to keep her and deal with it, go ahead. Well, part of the difficulty with this is... You can't go to any old doctor and say, can you help me have this birth? Mm. Not during this time period. You can't go to a hospital and have the birth because this is very difficult here. You know, this is a Jewish woman. And so you can't even bring a midwife into the home because at this point now they have others who are also hiding and residing in their house. So you can't draw attention to that. So what are you going to do here and will they even do this? And so just a you know, long story short, because I'll let people read more about the intrigue of this, is they do come to the decision that her parents, Leah's parents, agree to, which is however we get this childbirth done, we will register her as our own child with the authorities. So she'll be like one of our kids, and therefore we can have this baby out and about with our kids, and so if anything happens, they'll just think she's our kid, which would hopefully be the most safe way to have her. And so that's part of the miracle. They'll end up pulling it off 
and they had one of the challenges initially was to get Ming to go along with that. She liked the idea, but she's these are devout Catholics at this time, and a devout Catholic woman of reproductive years is supposed to be having her own babies, and so for her to kind of say, "Uh oh, that means I'm not going to have a baby at this point," mm, I'm not sure if I should be doing that. They had to overcome that as the first challenge to make this hmm. happen. Well, that's interesting. Um, yes, because she couldn't have been. I mean, the pregnancy had to coincide. She couldn't. That's right. She couldn't. The, somebody would be counting the months. That's right. Mm-hmm. So she eventually will go along and, and act like she is pregnant, uh, put pillows under her clothes. And so when the baby is born, they do find arrangements to make it happen eventually that it, it's, it is a miracle that they pull this off, and I get to call the baby my wife today. <laughs> what a baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so, so now, um, Aaliyah, how much of this do you remember? I mean, how, what is your <laughs> earliest memory? Well, actually, my earliest real memories are after the war when my parents went back to Amsterdam. Um, and I do remember sitting in a sandbox when I was about three and a half or something. Other than that, um, where we... My parents, myself, and my younger brother, who was born in 46, used to go and visit the Weinachers every summer. And so I grew up knowing them and certainly knew that I had been born in hiding and that they had been kind of like my godparents and that I'd had another name written in, like, um, Francesca something. Francesca Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I knew that much. I did not know, of course, the exact details. I knew I had been born in a convent in uh, the nearby town, Ravenstein, um, and that's about as much as I knew as to what Franz and Mien went to in detail, because, of course, I was a baby. Okay, so, but when did you, well, when did you learn the details, you know, that what, what this was all about? How old were you? You know, the total details of what Franz had to go through in order to keep people hidden, um, I really am only now aware of since that trip three years ago. Uh-huh. Um, so when it came to all the negotiations and everything else he had to do, um, I had not been aware of that because I had been aware that more than just my parents had been hidden at the uh, at their home um, during the Holocaust, but um, I really didn't know all the details till now. Well, now, you're a psychologist, right? Right. School psychologist. Yes. Yeah, I have a master's in counseling and a master's in educational psychology. Yes. So you know that, um, you know, that that these things, these questions that I've started to ask you about when you, what your earliest memory is and and when you first started finding out what, um, of course, is very important, crucial, in forming... um, your personality and who you are. Right. And so, 
I mean, I'm just wondering, like, for example, how old were you when you learned, when you knew what the Holocaust was? Or uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure that I wasn't more than um, I wasn't more than a baby. I mean, I was aware of the Holocaust from babyhood on. In that, my mother was a very emotional person about uh, the difficulty and the losses she has sustained during the Holocaust because she had been one of five siblings um, who were young adults and, in fact, several of them had been married. And um, so I learned very young that she was the only one left of those five. And my father was one of three sons that the Bars family had and he was the only one left. Mm. So, yes, um, my life has been deeply affected by images as well as knowledge of the Holocaust and uh, continues to be affected, although uh, more, more happiness has come to me in my later years. And so, but yes, I still um, am affected by the results of the Holocaust, of course. Yes, you know, I think that's in the, that's something. I'm sure you know. Uh, I'm sure you've you've uh, tried to explain this to people, but that's something that a lot of people don't don't really appreciate. I mean, yes, we hear six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, but what about all the other people or all the the families, the children? Are the people who were killed and the children who the, of the people who weren't killed? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it goes continues to affect one generation to the other to the other. Yes, yes, yeah. I have two daughters, and I have to say, I tried hard um, not to have them um, impacted, um, but I, I do think that they've had a few struggles themselves. Um, but hopefully, you know, they're they're doing okay. Yeah, they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, all this this whole story, because I wouldn't be doing this without my number one supporter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she's been uh, great through all this. And and part of your, one of your earlier questions about the writing of the book and the development and what's driven it, she would encourage me to do this. I think what's been interesting in this is that. She's not really talked, Leah has not really talked about her beginnings much. Most people who know her may have known this a little, and many wouldn't have known it at all. Now, obviously, it's part of the story. We always put the emphasis, this is really the story of the heroics of Franz and Mean. Mm -hmm. She's just a part of the story. Right. But certainly, as I do these talks, and obviously, we're giving away part of the secrets, we often, in the beginning, say, I have a meaningful personal connection to the story. And at the end of the talk, then I explain what this is, and we usually leave the audience with their mouths open and going, wow. <laughs> and so but it's been back to, I wouldn't be doing this without my number one supporter encouraging me to keep doing it. She recognizes how important this story is that people know about this kind of heroics and rescue. And, and one of the messages that I, I often will convey is the word hero gets misused a lot these days. Just because you you know you made a great accomplishment in a sports uh, event, mm. or you sang well on stage, great. But <laughs> heroic heroic acts are not just and then just the individual acts are wonderful. This was nearly two years of putting your life on the line to save other people's lives. That's true heroes. 
Not yeah. easy. I, I often put it in this context to audiences. I said, how many of you, when you have visitors come over, and let's, these are visitors you know, <laughs> and how, how, you know, how many days do you want them to stay? You know, usually people after three go, it's time for them to yeah. go. Right. Can you well, imagine having people stay, right. and you're responsible for trying to get them to stay at other places? Because that's what Franz was doing, too. And you don't know how long they're going to stay. Right, right. And it's cramped up your house. And you know, <laughs> all these difficulties people after... don't realize, which that's what's been amazing and as we tell the story. And, again, my number one supporter keeps me going with it. Yeah. We do need to take another break. I don't know if you've been able to hear the music, but it's break time again. We'll get back to this amazing story after the break. Uh, my guests are Marty Brownstein and Leah Bars, and their book is Two Among the Righteous Few, A Story of Courage in the Holocaust. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Got Courage. Uh, sometimes it seems as if too many people are plumb out of courage these days mm. when it comes to saving other people's lives. That's why the story that my guests uh, have, are talking about and uh, in the new book, it's just come out, um, it talks about, it's, it's the st- story, in the book called Two Among the Righteous Few, and that's uh, spelled T-W-A-O, T-W-O, it's two, the couple, Franz and Mean Weinecker, who saved over two dozen Jews. So my guests are Marty Brownstein and Leah Bars, and we were in the middle of talking about their book um, and and this amazing courage that this couple had um, to have saved all these people, including mm-hmm. Leah was being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, 
what what are some tell us about some other highlights from the book mm-hmm. I'd say to me one of the big highlights that I'm stunned by is as they go into this further they start out and next thing you know they have three kids staying in their house and then it's and then a member of the LO shows up on the doorstep and Franz is a little nervous at first, who is this stranger? And next thing you know, he's asking them, boy, you could be helpful for us because you're living here in the countryside, where most of the rest of the Netherlands is pretty urbanized. And the remaining Jews who are still out there, because most have been deported, were trying to get out of the cities, where the German presence is the greatest, and maybe you could help find refuge for them in the small town area where you live and go ask people and, in essence, serve as a broker. And Franz and Means listening in on it go look at each other and go, okay, what the heck? And they get involved much deeper now. And, and certainly shortly after that, figure out the dangers. And then one of the things that's, that stuns me about it is Franz encountered numerous challenges in doing this. They almost had a chance where they lost, they could have had their house taken over by the German authorities. They had a chance where he might have been sent away to be working in forced labor in Germany. They had certainly a couple of raids on the house. There was these constant things, and often when he, he was busy then placing people in other people's homes as refugees were coming out, he would try to find somebody to take them, and often something would go wrong there, and they'd see, yell to Franz, hey, we've been betrayed, get them out of here. And so all of these numerous challenges, and I ref- when I reflect back, and I'm always stunned going, most people would have just quit. Why uh-huh. bother? This is too difficult, and now it's too dangerous. And let me just, you know, he's got four small children at this point, all under the age of five. You know, that's tough enough alone in life. And then you've got all this danger and risk and headaches that you're doing on top of it, and yet he persists with the support of his wife, Mean. And that, to me, is what's so remarkable about what he did. Um, Yes, one of the stories that, that I was struck by was the woman who was keeping Leah's mother. Um, yes, Marie uh, Louise. And and how she told a priest yes. that thinking she thinking that the priest was going to think that she was wonderful for keeping this little Jewish girl. Mm-hmm. Well, she wasn't so little at that point. No, that was she was an adult. Right. But um, keeping a Jewish woman, she said, who was who was helping her keep house, um, and instead he betrays her. Right. By and that's how um, Lynn um, Leah's mother be came to go back to, uh, or go to, at that point, um, the Weinecker's house and, and meet up with her husband. But that, that was kind of, I mean, betrayal was all around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and they were dealing with those problems all the time where something seemed to go wrong, where he had placed somebody. And in your, the example you raised, you know, and there's, thank goodness she was able to make her way the night to Franz and Means Weinecker's house, and it was the pressure of the priests. The, well, one person who uh, read the book and he attended one of my book talks, he spoke up afterwards. He says, I know you didn't want to give the story away, but i got to just comment on something. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the story, but I was most disappointed by the two leading authority figures in the area during that time, the priest and the police chief. Mm. They were Franz's biggest thorns through all this. Mm. Uh-huh. Yes, they were. And, and that was part of that time period because the clergy, both Protestant and Catholic clergy that were dominant in the Netherlands, were a mixed bag. Some were very helpful. Some were very courageous, and some were totally unhelpful and actually didn't want anything to do with this. You don't bother helping Jews here. Don't bother helping anybody. Just go survive. So you had a mixed bag. In his area, of course, he didn't have the best. 
So it's it's kind of one of those challenges. As a, a little side note to this, one of the neat things we've had is the relationship with the family. We've been back to the Netherlands since that initial trip. We were there spring of 2011, and we were invited to stay at the home of Nellie Weinacher Kohlenbrander. She's the oldest of the siblings. There's five kids alive today because their parents aren't alive, and she's been the point person for us with the family. But we got to stay with her, and one of the interesting things, she when we stayed, and she'd lend us her car and go out for a day. We stayed there three days. She she said we were going to go explore the, the, the small town area again, the different towns, just to see some of the things that Franz talked about. And we actually went to the cemetery where Franz and Mean are buried. Mm. And it's a small, it's in the town next to Deden where they lived. And the two gravestones are there, and we paid our respects. And about a row or two over is the gravestone of Father Johannes Simons. He was the thorn and pain in the you-know-what mm. priest. So even in death, we kid that he couldn't get away from this priest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Boy, you know, you you wrote in the book that um, one of the Weinecker children, I guess it was, mm-hmm. um, wrote self-published a book right. on, on this. And whatever, now that was, isn't that an unusual, I mean, I know, of course, in the United States, there's like an explosion of people self-publishing books. Yeah. But I didn't know that that was so common, or maybe it isn't, in Holland. Ha- ha- tell us about that. Well, I know w- what they had told us uh, in that initial visit, as we kind of stumble into finding where the home is from just visiting a tourist information office. And before we leave, one of the staff members there gives Leah an email address and said, prior to his death, Franz had did something that the family made a little self-published book about. You'd like to get it. Well, the youngest of the siblings, Irene is her name, is the keeper of that book. And so as we stumble in and here we go unexpectedly, we come to the house and there's Franz Jr. living in the house and there and he's all excited and he's calling around and who can come over in 10 minutes? The youngest comes over, Irene, and she gives us the book. This is Mm. kind of the beginning of the journey. Mm. The family blessed us taking this and developing the story further. But they had told us that prior to his death, Franz had spoken into tapes and to tell his experience of what he did, and that is the core underneath all this with added interviews and research, and so they've given us the blessing to do it. But So that was kind of where it began of between, in fact, before we leave, and it's a Monday afternoon, it's now like three years ago at this time, they invite us to come back Wednesday evening, and they because we'll see who we can get together. There's five siblings all living in the local area, and all five came when we came back two nights later because... And they know her by her Dutch nickname, Inika, my wife. Inika Bars was in town, so they had mm. to see her. They had not seen her in 25 years. Mm. So this is all the beginning of the journey of developing the story with that little book there. And Leah had translated it to me between Monday and Wednesday, and that's when I realized, mm. holy cow, something went on here that was just more than what I initially knew and that earned him that special honor along with me of Righteous Among the Nations, because that's a very special honor. One of the things we educate audiences about what that means. And so that's all kind of where it triggers from there. And Nellie, the oldest, has been the point person and most supportive of helping us develop the story further. Well, yes. Well, what? T- why don't you tell us about what that means, how you get to be a mother? Yes, yes. Uh, Yad Vashem, because often that's a thing we always put in the talks, because some people know it and many people don't. Mm. It's the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, Israel, and it was started in 1953 as an act of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset there, 
so that this would never be forgotten and this would also be a source for education. And it's developed over the years. It's now a large museum. You said you've been there once as well. There's a section of the museum known as the Righteous Among the Nations. And that section recognizes those people who during the course of the Holocaust have risked their lives to help save the lives of Jews. And so these that's a very special honor. And over the years, it started, I think, in the 60s, they started doing it. You've had a little over 24,000 people earn that honor, including Franz and Mean Weinacher, people are most familiar with Oscar Schindler. Yeah. From Schindler's List. You know, I always tell people Franz and Mean Weinacher are two Oscar Schindlers. Mm-hmm. That's when people go, oh, whether they knew about this or not, that just kind of resonates for people right away that says, well, that's something special. And yeah, that's heroes, people who did something. What, what did you say about Anne Frank? Oh, she wants me to tell another little piece from the story. <laughs> if, I, if I can uh, go on to another piece, uh, she wants me to tell uh, Shula I was mentioning before. Mm-hmm. Freitje. Freitje, uh, they knew her through her false identity name. One of the things that I'll often talk about that's a little piece in the story is, and Shula being helpful in us developing it, when Franz meets her, and he takes her, and that's the first person he takes into hiding. And she's a 14-year-old girl at the time in the spring of 43. Uh, she luckily gets out of Amsterdam. And originally, he was only going to keep her for three weeks. That's what he was asked to do, and, of course, she'll stay much longer. Well, she and her siblings were able to get out of Germany at the end of 1938 when things were really taken a turn for the worse after Kristallnik there. The Dutch government was willing to take in a few thousand, and they called them unaccompanied children, meaning children but not families, not parents. So they won't see their parents again, but they'll get after a while placed within Dutch-Jewish homes in Amsterdam. And life goes on for a couple of years before the German occupation occurs, and then it goes terrible. Well, one of her girlfriends that she made friends with who lived down the block that was similar in age to her was also a German-Jewish girl whose family got out in the early 30s, so they got out intact. But when what they do is they go into hiding in Amsterdam, this, this friend of hers, and they don't ever try to get out of Amsterdam, and they'll get caught. This is a girl named Anne Frank. Mm. Oh, wow, she was uh, connected to Anne. Hmm. Yes, one of Anne's many friends that she had there. She was a very social girl there. So luckily for Freitje, Shula, her real name, gets out, because if she had not gotten out, if you were staying in the cities, the chances of you getting caught was extremely high. The countryside was your best chance to try to survive. Yes, and that whole, um, you know, uh, well, <laughs> when we come back we can talk more about this, but the whole idea of the parents who gave up their children yeah. to go on the kinder's tra- Kinder transport, transport. Yeah. And, and, you know, what you were just talking about, um, I mean, that save their lives, and, mm-hmm. and imagine having to give up your child in order to try to save their life. Yeah, That's very hard to imagine. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, we do need to take another break. My guests are Marty Brownstein and Leah Bars. We're talking about the new book called Two Among the Righteous Few, A Story of Courage in the Holocaust. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Um, During the break, I was asking Leah about uh, whether, as a psychologist, she's you know, specialized in this or whatever, and, and I could hear Leah in your, and, and she said no, um, but I could hear in your voice, it, it, it still is so, inc- of course, so incredibly painful. I mean, here you, you know, you, you, so in a sense, writing this book or helping, being the support of your husband writing this book and helping with, you know, going to Holland and helping with the research and all of that, uh, must have been as much as you want, I mean, this is a very courageous endeavor, and as much as you want people to know about it, it must have been very hard for you to dig up all these buried, buried in your unconscious memories. Well, um, the Holocaust continues to be conscious and unconscious in my case, uh, in that um, basically every day I still have images uh, in my mind. Unhappily, any image of the Holocaust is negative to me and sometimes comes from uh, photographs I've seen Mm. or things that uh, my mother told me, uh, a lot of rather pathetic stories. And so uh, this journey of getting the book out uh, and supporting Marty in his effort uh, is a bit of a strain, mm-hmm. but it's totally worth it because Franz and Mean Weinacher did an amazing thing in that they hid a number of Jews in their own home and he helped more hide and every one of them was saved. So the story is more important than my reactions actually and now it's close to speaking engagement number 60 and I find myself uh, being careful about continuing to breathe deeply and you know <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just being there and so it's 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 okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right what are the uh, groups that you're typically speaking in front of it's been a wide variety of venues here, which is what's neat about this. And if you've got any listeners, <laughs> we want more. Mm-hmm. Is We've done churches, synagogues, schools, uh, Jewish Community Center, libraries, 
people have hosted parties in their homes for us. Hmm. Uh, my, when we were in Chicago, my sister, yeah, we'd done a few book clubs. My sister, Sadasa Group, mm-hmm. they hosted an event for us. I'm sure I'm probably leaving out a few. Oh, we've done book a few stores. work bookstores. That's the one coming up. Uh, we've done workplaces even. Hmm. The story resonates. So the workplaces one, I, one of our first one, we've done a few. The executive who brought us in to do it for her department said, well, this is a story of ethics. Mm-hmm. And it's a story of diversity, respecting other people. So I, I like those messages to be told to my employees, and this is just a different way of doing it, so come tell the story. Yes, that's a, that's a good point. That's true. And we're going to be at Google to do the same thing in June 20th. Uh-huh. So what's neat about this is it's not audience-specific, certain type. Uh, you know, it's, it can be pretty much all ages, other than little kids. We've, we can take from middle school on up, can hear the story. The challenge is getting people to pay attention. If they come, we have no trouble after that. We've had in many of these talks so far where we've gotten future talks if somebody was there in the audience, and I always say if anyone can support us in any way, please come let us know. And that's often led to people, you know, we just had one Saturday we were at a church. Well, the person who organized it for his church, he attended one we did about a month and a half before and said, yeah, I'd like to bring you to my church. And he was mm-hmm. runs the men's club there and made it happen. Mm-hmm. That's been a neat part of this this phase of the journey. The me- I, I consider myself a humble messenger representing two heroes mm-hmm. who have also given me a very meaningful personal connection to it as well. Well, yes, and and um, it does seem like just just as with courage, it also seems that uh, we the society needs to be reminded about ethics. Absolutely, you know, yeah. the, yes. the it's not only the courage of sacrificing yourself, um, risking your life to save other people, but it's also uh, the idea of you know doing it because it's right, the right. Yes. As I was saying at the beginning yes. of the show, just the right thing to do, like not yes. really thinking about it very much. Yes. Yeah, if I can share a neat experience we had in mm-hmm. one of these events. It was an eighth grade class at a Catholic parochial school here in the Bay Area. Wonderful teacher there. Shout out to Jody Rusi there. And she had it so that the kids would actually involve the parents to get the book in advance and actually read it in advance of me mm. coming. Uh-huh. And so I facilitated the discussion more than made a presentation. And one of the things we focused most on is what Franz and Mean did, how it was so remarkable. And we're looking at the historical context, the climate of hate and indifference. And the, and the, the kids who were well prepared got into just the, they were just stunned by the courage. Would they have the moral character to do the right uh-huh. thing? Because they could really see that these two people knew right from wrong. And we're willing to risk their life to do right from wrong when most people weren't. And so that, that was just a wonderful experience. We're going to go back there again next year. We've already talked. She's already talked to us. Say, come back to my next year's eighth grade class. Yes. I, I was going to ask you about that. Do you get that, not even, you know, from kids, but, like, um, do people in the audience or do you have the impression that people in the audience are thinking, huh, <laughs> that's a very unusual thing to do? I mean, you know, like have trouble believing that people would do that. Putting it, looking at it from today's date, you know, to yeah. back then, how could people do that? Like, I have a trouble really understanding how people could have um, the courage and the ethics yeah. to do that. More of the reaction we get is more that people are inspired by it. Uh huh. That, that we get told a lot: this is inspiring, this is moving, that this is motivating, that it's neat to see the, these kinds of ethics. But I mean, that must come after they first say to themselves, "Huh." <laughs> right. Right. You know, really? People did this? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, there is that st- 
stunned and kind of wow. And, and part of what as I tell the story of the story is I look hard to paint the historical picture of what was going on and how difficult this was and how this was not the norm. And often I'll even start the stories just by giving the audience three questions to think about. So, you know, starting with, uh, would you be willing to help others whose lives are in great danger? Not asking the answer it out loud, but a lot of people are thinking yes until I throw the second question mm-hmm. is, is, would you be willing to help others whose lives are in great danger, knowing that if you get involved to do so, you probably put your life in great danger, would you still help? Mm-hmm. I think if we were taking a poll, the numbers start to go down right. after that. And then my last question, would you be willing to help others, knowing that if you get involved, you probably put your life in great danger when these people most need this help, the norm is to hate them or be indifferent to their plight. Would you still get involved? And People tell us a lot right up front that those questions, they keep thinking about it through the whole talk. Yes, yes. And that's, that's a great, to me, a, a great thing that we want people coming away thinking about this story and appreciating it and recognizing the difficulties, but this is what real courage and ethics are all about. Yes. Now, how can people, well, first of all, tell us where you can get the book, but also how can people get in touch with you if they do want you to come and talk? They can, can I give a phone number out? Sure. All right, they can call me directly at area code 650-341-8001. Okay. 650-341-8001. All right, and what about the book? They can get the book. It's available certainly through Amazon.com, and it's available through my publisher, Tate Publishing, and all they can, they can go online for www.com tatepublishing.com slash bookstore and they can order through there and I can even give a phone number if they want to call for Tate. Sure. It's uh, 888 toll free number 361-9473 and it was www.tatepublishing.com slash bookstore? Bookstore, correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's also available on Amazon and they have as well a Kindle version and also an audio version that Marty recorded for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Tate Publishing has been good to work with. Well, all right. Um, I I thank you uh, for sharing this. I mean... (laughs) Thank you for having us. Yes. Marty, do you, do, are you, um, I mean, you sound like a sensitive guy. I hope you're, <laughs> I hope you're sensitive to, um, I don't know if this is, if you've been realizing as uh, Leah has been talking that, that this really is taking a toll on her, but, um, but I hope you're being sensitive to that, <laughs> that it isn't, doesn't take a toll on your marriage because... No, it, actually it's quite the opposite. Yeah, it's, it's been bringing actually, you together. It's bringing, making it e- even closer for us. Okay, well that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, let me this give is out my number one supporter. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing it. Uh, let me just you. give the information again. The book is Two T W O Two Among the Righteous Few: A Story of Courage in the Holocaust by Marty Brownstein and Leah Bars. And uh, the their telephone number, if you want them to come to speak, is six five zero three four one eight zero zero one. You can get the book at Amazon and so on, and also tapepublishing.com slash bookstore. So thank you all for listening. I hope you've become a little bit inspired by this. It's, uh, it is uh, spine-tingling, and um, you, know, you can hear it in Leah's voice. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.